Thank you, Brother Jim. I appreciate your kind words. We do go back a long ways. Uh, but uh, Charlie and I go back a little, a little farther, a little longer. Uh, but I hope you won't ask him too many questions about my growing up days. Uh, but it's good to see uh, Brother Charles here. Appreciate his uh, presence. And good to see the writers here. Uh, we, we were really sad when the writers left Indiana. I don't know why they left Indiana to come to Tennessee. But it uh, had something to do with Marie, who is from Tennessee, I think. But we're, uh, we're happy for them, and they're in a good congregation. And uh, we appreciate uh, uh, their good talents and uh, appreciate uh, their being here this evening. The hub of the Bible. Everything before Acts 2, in a sense, points to it. And everything after Acts 2, in a sense, points back to it. The church was in the mind of God from eternity. In Ephesians 3, verse 8, beginning, Paul says unto me, whom less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent that now to the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church was in the mind of God from eternity. It was no accident. And as you begin reading through the Bible, you see uh, promises concerning the coming of Christ and ultimately the coming of the church, the coming of the kingdom. You see it in various stages. You see it in reference to a for, first in um, purpose, Ephesians 3. You see it in promise. You see it in prophecy. You see it in the state of preparation. And ultimately you see it in the state of perfection when it began on the day of Pentecost, the first Pentecost following the resurrection of Christ. Now there have been many great days in uh, our world. We can look back and think of some historic days. But surely one of the greatest days that has ever been was the day of which we read about in Acts chapter 2. So I invite your attention to that wonderful chapter of which I'm sure you know it well. So I encourage you to turn there with me and follow along with me and to see some reasons as to why it was a great day. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared in them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The day was great because there was a great miracle that took place. The baptism of the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles on that occasion. John the Baptist had pointed out that uh, one would come whose shoes he, would not, he was not worthy to unloose, who would baptize in the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 3 and verse 11, Jesus, uh, John the Baptist said, uh, I indeed baptize you with water, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Here you have three baptisms. You have John's baptism. You have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which was to come upon the apostles. And you have also the uh, fire baptism or reference to hellfire. Verse 12 indicates that. And so here was the uh, statement made by John, and Jesus himself said in John 16 and verse 7, he said, it is, 
it is necessary or it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. He went on to say in verse 13, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he shall guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. Jesus was speaking to his apostles. That didn't apply to all of us. It was spoken to the apostles. And as you read Acts chapter 1, right uh, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said to the apostles that the Holy Spirit would come upon them not many days hence. Ten days later, after Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles. It was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, meaning they were overwhelmed with the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice that uh, it took place on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost always fell on the first day of the week. We read, of course, of uh, that day in the Old Testament, but it's not called Pentecost. It, it was called the Feast of uh, First Fruits. It was called Harvest. But it was Pentecost because that means 50 days, 50 days from the Passover. And so it always f uh, fell, Leviticus 23, verses 15 and 16, the day after the Sabbath. Thus it was always on the first day of the week. And so when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they, meaning the apostles, were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Now it was not the sound of a rushing mighty wind, it was uh, as a sound of a rushing mighty wind. And it was not cloven uh, tongues like as a fire, or like fire, or fire, but it was cloven tongues like as a fire. It was not literal fire. In fact, I think the idea of cloven there means split. Just as you see the flames of, a, of fire are split, so the, the tongues here is reference to the splitting of the tongues. And it came upon the apostles. And they all began to speak as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. What a great miracle that was. The baptism of the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles because they were the ambassadors of Christ. In order to reveal the truth, as I've already pointed out from John 16, 13, but also to confirm the truth, miracles were for the purpose of confirming, Mark 16 and verse 20, as well as to impart spiritual gifts upon others. They had that power. No other uh, individual had that power. Only the apostles could do that. Acts chapter 8 indicates that. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit on that occasion, the overwhelming power of the Holy Spirit, it wasn't the Holy Spirit as such, came upon the apostles on that occasion. So it was a great miracle. And it was also great because that day was great because there was a great audience. Notice what the text tells us, beginning in verse 5. There were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation. And this was, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that Every man heard them speak in his own language, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man speak in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt, in Libya, in, parts of, in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and in doubt, saying, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. What a great audience it was. 
In the first place, it was great from the standpoint they were devout. These individuals were Jews from all parts of the world, as it states, all various nations, every nation on the earth, on the earth, and it says that uh, they were devout, meaning they were dedicated. Well, you imagine it was the practice of the Jews, it was their law to, for the males to go to Jerusalem three times a year. They were to go and observe the Passover, and then 50 days later they were to observe the Feast of, of Weeks or the first, uh, feast, uh, first Fruits or a Harvest, as it was called. And they were also to observe uh, the tabern- uh, Feast of Tabernacles. This was a requirement. One would have to be dedicated, one would have to be uh, devout to uh, make that trip or those trips. But they came. And they were devout. Your presence this evening shows your, uh, your devotedness or your dedication to Christ and your, your being here. And it is appreciated. But these people came much, much farther. And they didn't come in cars and air-conditioned rides like we do. They came great distances. So you see the dedication that they had. And as was stated, they came from all nations. Notice they came from the east, in that area known now as Iraq. They were, there were from individuals from, uh, uh, as it says, in, from Persia, uh, uh, notice it says uh, in verse uh, 5, uh, there were devout uh, Jews out of every nation. Uh, and where did they come from? Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia. So in that region in the east uh, where uh, Abraham uh, originated, Ur of the Chaldees in that area. And then in Judea, the region in which Jerusalem is located, the southern part of Palestine or Canaan. And then in what is now known as Turkey, uh, Cappadocia, uh, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia. And then on the other side, uh, uh, south of the Mediterranean, you have uh, uh, Egypt and parts of Libya, about Serene. And then uh, farther west, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes. They came from all parts of the then known world. What an amazing audience that was. What a great audience it was. And they heard uh, of this miracle that had taken place. They were brought together by the miracle on that occasion. And the miracle was, of course, not on their ears, but it was on the part of the tongues of the twelve apostles. So it was a great day from the standpoint of the great miracle that took place. It was a great day from the standpoint of the wonderful audience that was present. It was a great day because of the fact of the great preacher. You notice at the latter part of the the description of the audience, it says, and they were all amazed and in doubt, saying, "Uh, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. You've always got one in the crowd, don't you? They thought, well, they're drunk. And that's sarcasm. Well, then the Bible tells us in verse 14, then Peter standing up with the eleven. Notice that it was not Peter alone speaking. All of the apostles preached on that occasion. You know, we have some 
in the Lord's Church today who are opposed to the idea of Bible classes. Well, I think the day of Pentecost is a good illustration of just what we have in a sense regarding Bible classes. You have various groups to whom the apostles were addressing themselves on that occasion. All of them spoke. Only Peter's is recorded. Then Peter standing up with the eleven. So it was a great day from the standpoint of the preacher whose lesson is recorded for us. Peter. Oh, what a great man Peter was. Of course, he did not have supremacy or primacy over the other apostles. But in every list of the apostles, he's always first. He was outspoken. He, of course, was uh, a fisherman with his brother Andrew and also his partners, James and John. And uh, when Jesus called him, he, he came. You recall that Jesus on one occasion met the apostles as they were rowing across the Sea of Galilee. And it was the fourth watch of the night, meaning it was like three in the morning. They were trying to get across the Sea of Galilee and Jesus came walking upon the water to them in Matthew the 14th chapter, 22 through 33. And uh, Jesus tried to calm them by saying, Fear not, it is I. Be not, be not afraid. And Peter says, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto you. Well, it wasn't uh, the case that any of the other apostles were willing to step out of that boat, but Peter was. He had to have some faith, but he didn't have enough faith, as we note. But he stepped out of that boat and began to walk to, uh, toward Jesus on the water. And when he saw the boisterous winds or saw the effects of the winds, he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And the Lord reached out and saved him. And they went on to the boat. Peter's the one to whom Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Matthew 16, 16 through 18. Jesus had made the great promise there that he would build his church. But it was not built upon Peter. It was built upon the confession that Peter made, the truth that he made, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But it was Peter who said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. When asked the question, but whom do you say that I am? Peter is the one, of course, along with James and John, that went into uh, the home of Jairus when her, his daughter was raised from the dead. It was Peter, James, and John who went up on the Mount of Transfiguration to see Jesus transfigured before them. And it was Peter who said on that occasion, because he was afraid, uh, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let us build three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Matthew 17, 1 through 5. And it was Peter, as I mentioned Sunday, along with James and John, who went with Jesus a little farther into the Garden of Gethsemane. And while Jesus went a stone's throw to pray, they fell asleep. And it was Peter who said to the Lord, Though all men deny you, I'll never deny you. I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to die for you. And Jesus said, Before the cock crows twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. 
And of course, we know that he did. That is, that Peter did deny the Lord three times. But after our Lord's resurrection, Peter then confessed his love for the Lord three times in John chapter 21. And so it fell upon Peter to have the keys of the kingdom, to give the terms of, a, uh, of entrance into the kingdom or into the church. And thus his sermon is recorded. And so then Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said, Ye men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, these men are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it's about the third hour of the day. But this is that which is spoken of the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last day, saith God. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your, old, and your young men dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, that he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad, moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of the life, thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and that his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not descended in heaven. David has not ascended to heaven, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know surely that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Here was a great sermon. This is the next reason as to why it was such a great day. It was a great day because of the great miracle that took place on that occasion. It was a great day from the standpoint of the great audience that was there. It was a great day from the standpoint of Peter's having preached the first sermon that's recorded. And it was a great day because of the sermon that was preached in and of itself. Think about the sermon for a minute and let's analyze it if we can. In the first place, Peter removes the rubbish. You know, you've got to remove the rubbish from people's minds. You have to remove, remove the false ideas that they have in their minds before sometimes you can uh, inject the truth or for them, before they can receive the truth. Remember that some mock set saying, these men are full of new wines. And Peter answers this by, by two ways, by common sense, first of all, and then by Scripture. 
he said, these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it's about the third hour of the day. Why, it's just, just nine o'clock in the morning. Well, now, you know, it's very unusual for someone to be drunk at nine in the morning, but it's not unheard of. There are some people that'll drink all night and even drink the next morning. I lost my older brother by a drunk driver who had been drinking that morning. He was riding his bike around 10 o'clock in the morning, and he was hit by a drunk driver. But that's rare for that to happen. That is, for, a drunk, for an individual to be drunk at 9 in the morning. And so Peter says, why, it's just 9 o'clock in the morning. But then he says, but this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Now that settles the matter. When someone, when the scriptures say, when the inspired man says, this is that which is spoken by the Lord or by some prophet, that ought to settle the matter. And so Peter says, this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit. And notice that he says, I will pour out of my spirit which indicates that something was going to be poured out of the Holy Spirit. Not that the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out like he's some kind of liquid. But the power of the Holy Spirit would be given to the apostles, as well as others, as you note from this text. So Peter answers them by, first of all, giving, using common sense, and the second thing, by Scripture. And that's the greatest way to answer someone, is by Scripture. Jesus answered the devil in the wilderness, you know, with Scripture, it is written. And, of course, Peter is speaking by inspiration. And then we see Peter's subject. He says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. There's the subject. Every sermon, in a sense, ought to touch upon Jesus of Nazareth whether you're speaking on the church or on God's Word or in reference to any other matter, it ought to come from Jesus. Jesus ought to be the center of our preaching. And so Peter says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up. Now I want you to notice there are three points to the sermon. I don't find a poem there. Sorry about that, I don't have a poem, but uh, not a very good poet anyway. But there are three points. Jesus is the subject. The first point is, Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Two, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain him. Just think of Peter's sermon on that occasion. Just 50 days before, they were crying out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And the Roman soldiers carried it out. You have taken, you have by wicked hands, meaning by the hands of the Roman government, have crucified him, put him to death. That's point number two. Point number three is, but God raised him up. Three points to that sermon. Peter did not dwell on the first two because they knew it. 
But he gave proof for the third point. God raised him up, point number three. What did he use for proof? He had three proofs for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not enough that Jesus died on the cross. He also was raised from the dead. Every major speech that's found in the book of Acts deals or mentions the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Aren't we thankful that he was raised from the dead? Aren't we thankful that we can go, supposedly, we can't find the exact tomb, but we have an idea or their tradition tells us. But regardless, the tomb is empty. You can't say that about any other founder of religion. But Peter gives proof. He says, for David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, that he was on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad, and moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known unto me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David. So he first of all refers to or quotes Psalm 16, 8 through 11. That's the first proof. David said so. And then he also refers to Psalm 110 in verse 1. He says, The men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known in you and hearken to my words. He says, uh, David is dead and buried, and he's in the sepulcher. But being a prophet, knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. I pointed out the other day that the expression uh, raised up to sit on his throne shows purpose. Jesus was raised up for the purpose of sitting on his throne. He's reigning now as King of kings and Lord of lords. This Jesus has God raised up. We all are witnesses. There's evidence or proof number two. Number one, David said that he would be raised from the dead. Number two, we, meaning the apostles, of course it would apply to others as well because 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we see that Paul says, in, question, in reference to the, res, the general resurrection and pointing out that Jesus had been raised from the dead, he said there are above 500 brethren that saw him at one time and the greater part remained in the present. That is, there were 500 people that saw Jesus at one time. That was not a hallucination. They saw him. And if you have doubts about that, the greater number, the majority of those 500 are still living. You can ask them. But point number two, or evidence number two, is we are witnesses of his resurrection. Jesus had said in Acts 1 and verse 8, Ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, and in the uttermost part of the earth. The apostles were witnesses. Eyewitnesses and earwitnesses. They touched him. They handled him. They saw him. They heard him. John tells us in verse John chapter 1. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. Third proof. This great miracle on this occasion is proof that Jesus was raised from the dead. It's confirmation that Jesus was raised from the dead. And then we see the great question that was asked now when they heard this they were pricked in their heart and they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do 
They were pricked in their heart, King James Version says. The word pricked there means they were pierced with sorrow. They were convicted of their sin. Perhaps we don't get the kind of uh, results in our preaching today that uh, Peter got, as well as the other apostles, is because we do not convict people of the sin in their lives. And so Peter preached that sermon that's recorded, as well as the other apostles, and the Bible says they were pricked in their heart, and they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Great question. It was a great day because of the great question that was asked. It was not, well, how's the weather? How's the weather in your area of the world? It was not, well, what kind of garden are you going to have this year? What kind of crop are you going to have? Are you going to have a good crop? Plant a lot of seed? It was not, who's going to be the next Caesar? That was not the great question. Their question was, what shall we do? What shall we do for what? To have their sins forgiven. They were convicted of their sin of having put Jesus to death, the Son of God. And so they asked this question. Then you have the great answer. Then Peter and the other apostles said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you and your children and all them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. What a great answer. It was not, Peter's answer was not, oh, there's nothing that you can do. Don't you realize that from the foundation of the world it was determined that you were going to be either saved or lost? And if you're of the saved, there's nothing that you can do to be lost. And if you're of the lost, there's nothing that you can do to be saved. It was determined from the foundation of the world. That's Calvinism. It was not just say the sinner's prayer. Just say the sinner's prayer. Why you can't even read of that in the New Testament? Where do men get that idea from their imagination? That's not what Peter said. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He did not say, Repent, and you'll, 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 be, sa- you'll be saved, and then you should be baptized in order to show that you have been saved. He didn't say that. He said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. In order to receive the remission of sins. The same expression in the English and in the Greek can be found in Matthew 26, 28. When Jesus said, in instituting his supper regarding the fruit of the vine, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now question, did Jesus shed his blood because men's sins had already been forgiven? No. Ace, aphasan, hamation. In the direction of, in order to receive the remission of sins, Jesus shed his blood in order that man might have the remission of sins. Repenting, be baptized in order that you might receive the remission of sins is the idea, in order that you might be forgiven. Every time baptism and salvation or its 
um, uh, a term that's like it or similar to it is found in the same context or in the same verse, baptism always comes before salvation. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. In Acts twenty-two sixteen, Saul told Ananias, And now why tearest thou? Rise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. In 1 Peter three twenty-one, Peter said, The like figure when even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, I had a debate with a, a Baptist many years ago in 1995, and I had a whiteboard. And on that whiteboard, I, I put two statements. Baptism doth also now save, and baptism doth also not save. And I asked him, in front of all, tell me which one erased the sentence that's false. He would not touch it with a ten-foot pole. And finally, someone in the audience said, what about the board? I don't remember what his answer was, but it wasn't the right answer. Baptism saves. Now, it's not baptism alone. And we recognize that when we do what the Lord has required us to do, we are saved by God's grace. But it's not grace alone. Why can't men be satisfied with what the New Testament says? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The gift of the Holy Ghost, I don't know. I have my ideas, but it doesn't really matter. I don't believe it as a reference to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But regardless of that, whatever it is, it is. The important thing is for us to do what the Lord has said. And so it was a great day from the standpoint of the great answer that Peter gave on that occasion. The Bible tells us with many, many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. What a great day that was. Who was baptized? Those who heartily welcomed the word. That's the meaning of it there. Why is it that some will not obey the gospel? Because they have not heartily welcomed the word. My attitude and your attitude ought to be whatever the Lord's word tells me to do, that's what I should do. To the very best of my ability. So I can go to heaven. So it was a great day. And about 3,000 souls were added to the Lord's church because they heartily received the word and they were baptized. Those that were baptized, were saved, and those that were saved were added. Acts 2.47, praising God and having faith with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. What a great day that was. That was the beginning of the church. And the church will continue until the Lord comes again. And... It can be a great day for you this evening if you're not a member of the Lord's church. It would be the greatest day for you. If you've never responded to the Lord's invitation, we encourage you to do so. Do just as they did. They heard the message. They believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. They repented of their sins. 
And they were baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins. Where are you this evening? Are you in Christ or out of Christ? If you're out of Christ, you're without hope. If you're in Christ, you have hope. If you're out of Christ, you have no forgiveness. If you're in Christ, you have forgiveness. If you're out of Christ, you have no fellowship. If you're in Christ, you have fellowship with God and the Father, God the Father and Christ the Son and, and the Holy Spirit and the righteous of all the ages. What a blessed privilege it is to be a child of God. If you're here and you're a child of God but wavered, what you must do. In Acts chapter 8, we read that Simon was told by Peter, Repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Simon obeyed the gospel. He was baptized into Christ, but he went back to his old ways. And so he was encouraged to repent and pray. If you're here this evening and you're outside the body of Christ, we encourage you to obey the gospel initially. And if you're a wayward child of God, we encourage you to repent of your sin, confess your sin, and pray. If it be a sin of a public nature, your brethren pray with you and for you, and God will forgive you and your brethren will receive you. We encourage you to come. All together we stand and sing.